welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. With that said, let's get on the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If you want to build secure backend applications, make sure to watch out for these 10 security vulnerabilities and incorporate them into your design when you design your backend application and that front end for that matter. These 10 vulnerabilities are recommended by the AWASP Foundation and uh, every developer with their front end and back end should have familiarity of these vulnerabilities and just watch out for it. You don't have to fully implement it. Just be aware of it maybe because you, your application might not be applicable for these kind of parameters. How about we jump into it guys? So guys, today we're going to go through the OWASP top 10 vulnerabilities that is recommended and recognized by the developers as first steps and first principles towards more secure coding, towards building better backend apps and frontend apps. Most of these vulnerabilities we have talked about them in this channel i'm going to reference as i start talking about this you're going to start seeing me linking to videos that we talked about as real world news that happened in the world live stuff right so we're going to start linking to this and making sense of that most of the time because my experience is backend you will see more examples of backend but there are front-end examples as well so OWASP, if you don't know, guys, stands for the Open Source Web Application Security Project. So let's, let's read through the blurb and then jump into one by one and explain this risk and give some examples. Okay. Uh, companies should adopt this document and start the process of ensuring that their web applications minimize these risks using the OWASP top 10 is perhaps the most effective first step towards changing the software development culture within your organization into one that produces more secure code. Again, this is just first step. Uh, this is not everything. It's just a generalization of every possible attack into these top 10 categories. Are there more attacks that are not here? Obviously there are, but most of the time, 90% of the attacks are can be fitted within here and i personally didn't see an attack that is not really one of those 10 right if you did let me know in the comment section below how about we jump into it so top 10 web application security risk number one is 
injection and it's a very popular thing you might the first thing that came to my mind probably is sql injection there are obviously other types of kind of injections that it was given here but the pop most popular is sql injection i talked about it right here if you want to learn more about it and the idea here is the application then on the back end does not sanitize the the input parameters that are used for sql statements on the back end and as a result as a users can either uh, inject entries that can drop content drop databases drop tables drop st data structure on the back end which causes harm or can essentially leak stuff that you're not supposed to leak so for example if you have a like a where clause that says where a name is equal single quote and then plus and then the actual string that the user supplied and then another plus and then another single quote that that, that is the worst case scenario here what the, what the what the attacker can do is name himself or herself Adam and then single quote then semicolon and then dash dash and then insert the other statement so the other statement could be drop table students or drop table employees right that usually doesn't work if you really build your back end such that the user executing doesn't have drop privileges obviously right so and i talked about that in another video where you kind of have best practices of what permissions your database users on the back end to give right if you're doing a query your web rest application shouldn't really be admin it should be a native script database user that is have a very complex password first and then the second thing is it should only have select privileges all right so that's that's it the, another example is to get more content from the sql how do you do that basically say hey where name is equal adam and semicolon dash dash uh, or one equal one what you did here in this case you just selected pretty much everything and returned it back to the user <laughs> bad stuff obviously so injection very very popular thing so broken authentication application functions related to authentication and session management are often implemented incorrectly allowing attackers to compromise password keys or session tokens or to exploit other implementation flaws to assume other user identities temporarily or permanently so basic authentication the idea of authenticating myself if you have an endpoint that allow me to authenticate and i can simply create a script that does a, a credential stuffing which is like hey i'm gonna try a hey, user this and then this dictionary attack and then let's try this password and this password and if you don't really stop me or time me out or kind of uh, elevate this uh, uh, these requests and stop me from making a lot of requests then you have a broken authentication system i don't care if it's secure on the back end if you're if you don't stop me from trying and brute forcing that's bad authentication right there a good security hygiene there if if you keep trying uh, a failed attempt password you will increase the timeout you will lock the users hey you cannot log in for x amount of minutes and then you double that or sometimes people do a fibonacci series all the way they are not exponential just super fibonacci series make them slower and slower and slower then try for another two minutes and then five and then nine and then whatever another broken authentication is just uh, having bad session session uh, length essentially right? like hey uh, you have a you have a, a session that doesn't expire for five hours <laughs> that's generally bad because someone could log in in a library and then close the browser and that's the example they're giving and then 
and anyone opening the browser back, obviously the cookie will be there. And all of a sudden you're logged in as their account. That's broken authentication. Number three, sensitive data exposure. Many web applications and APIs do not properly protect sensitive data, such as financial, healthcare, and PII. Don't know what PII is. P2? That. Attackers may steal or modify such weakly protected data to conduct credit card fraud, identity theft, and other stuff as well. So basically here, most popular stuff attacks where we saw the leaks that happened, Uber, happened, uh, the Uber leak back in 2016, I think, or 2014, I don't remember. I think 2016, the Uber dumped like 50 million user social security number and addresses. These are sensitive stuff. So there are there are two types of sensitive data exposure. We're, not, we're talking about password, but also other stuff. Social security numbers, right? Addresses. These are sensitive emails, sensitive information. We should be at risk, the data at risk, which is in the database, should be protected. I mean, some people goes all the way encrypted. That's... That's a lot of work because because if you encrypt it, where you do, where, do, where do you store the key, right? Because you have to turn around and decrypt it, right? I mean, you can you can have it end to end and have the user decrypt this thing, right? But then you don't you cannot on the back end you cannot do back end asynchronous jobs on this data, which is kind of if you think about it, it's actually a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> you can only encrypt your data and nobody else can see it. Uh, another thing, which is very, very critical, and we talked about it many times on this channel, is protecting the sensitive data in transit while it's moving across the network, right? TLS, Transport Layer Security, talked about it many times. I have over, I wouldn't wouldn't be exaggerating if I have over 50 videos on TLS. Uh, check out the video right here. This is Transport layer security, encrypt the stuff between two parties. How does that work? Understand how that work. Understand that the cryptographic algorithms used, which are you which are secure, which are not secure, TLS 1.2 versus TLS 1.3, all that jazz. Have security as number one. Right? Caddy Web Server pushed this and saved us from this, right? It's, I think it's the first web server that kind of is HTTPS by default and kind of pushed this now and pretty much every web server now is HTTPS by default, which is good. I think that the push came, I'm not going to, yeah, I give it some credit, but the credit came in from HTTP2, which is, I would I would not even give HTTP2 the credit because HTTP2 now it has to be secure by default. And that was not by accident. They didn't do it for security. No, they did it because they couldn't figure out uh, protocol uh, ossification, HTTP2, right? Because they wanted to do it in encrypted because it's easier, right? <laughs> but browsers notice that everything is broken when they move to HTTP2. Why? Because middle boxes tried to verify how HTTP look like when things are transmitted on HTTP uh, on port 80. And thinks HTTP2 is a completely breaking change in transmit the actual uh, in-wire protocol, not the application level, right? That's a completely breaking change. There's streams and headers and different stuff. So uh, middle boxes started freaking out and started blocking that traffic and dropping packets. So they had to encrypt it essentially. So now that's why you see HTTP2 is always encrypted by default. And, and that's a good thing. But I see that as a side effect. It wasn't like something uh it's like a i guess it's a feature by design or by by accident 
which is a good thing. Now everything is like moved to security by default, which is good. I love that. <sighs> so if you think about it, the middle boxes, the, the dumbness of these middle boxes actually pushed us to do better. Hmm. What do you think about that? I think this is a good thing. <laughs> the over-restrictive uh, aspects of these box, old boxes from 1992 <laughs> in, the, in the internet that's sitting somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean actually protected us. How about that? I'm making things up. I don't know if there are routers in the, in the Atlantic Ocean. Probably yet. All right. XML external entities. I did not see much of those. Yeah, I've used XML a lot in past life with soap, luck, right? But uh, I haven't seen this. I guess uh, I've been taken care of by, uh, the, by other uh, members of my team, <laughs> these kind of things. But external entities. Let's read through this. XXE. Many older or poorly configured XML processors evaluate external entity references within XML documents. And external entities can be used to disclose internal files using the file URI handler. Internal file shares, internal port scanning, remote code execution, and denial of service attack can happen as a result. So, uh, to, to actually explain this, I, I have to open this up and show you the sample code they have. So XML guys, if you don't know, they have this feature that's called system entity. You can put the entity and you can give it a name and then you can put a system and then you can put a URI, a universal resource identifier. And you can put it in anything you want. And that was like a feature technically, right? But if you put... If, if you have a backend that you upload some XML to, I say you can export and import. It's a feature. You're uporting, exporting and importing some stuff, right? If the, if the attacker uploaded something like this and says, hey, this is my XML, and here's the file that I, uh, that I want you to read. It's such a URL. And it's, it's pointing to the ATC password, Etsy password. <laughs> so what will happen here is, here's what it does. It reads that file and injects the content in the in this XML. In this case, it's called foo. So XXE, the variable, will be loaded from the Etsy password, put in the XSE variable, and then injected into the document. This is a feature, actually, right? And then that new XML that is essentially parsed will be delivered back to the attacker. Right? Obviously, that's very bad, right? So that's that's how it works. If you can do this, if the XML parser doesn't validate this properly, then things can go really bad. Okay, so that's essentially an XML external entity. I would really lump this number four with other ones that will come either, like a deserialization number eight. I would lump it there, but I don't know why it doesn't exist by itself. It seems odd a little bit. I might be wrong there. Let's go back. Broken access control. And we talked about that many times in this channel. Broken access controls. Restrictions on what authenticated, authenticated users are allowed to do are often not properly enforced. So now we are authenticated. We have logged in. We have created our username. We logged in with our username and password. We have a token. We are authenticated. The user know the system knows us. But are we authorized to access slash admin? Are we authorized to access slash system? Are we authorized to access slash data slash passwords? Right? That's a different question, right? Attackers can exploit these flaws to access unauthorized functionality or data, such as access to other account user from accounts, view passwords, uh, sensitive files, all that stuff. Uh, 
one popular example that I can think of here is uh, HTTP smuggling, right? Where you have a reverse proxy in the middle. And this is really not your fault as a backend. It's the system architect fault, whoever put in the system. So that's why you, you as a backend engineer, you have to really know your stuff, what you're built, what's in the front of you and what's on your back, right? So you have to understand these kind of thing. I talked about HTTP smuggling many times. There's even a worse version of it. It's called HTTP2 smuggling, H2C smuggling, HTTP2 over clear text smuggling. Anything that can essentially bypass security, which is smuggling HTTP requests, right? Uh, essentially, uh, attacker can go to a backend that is not supposed to go by tricking the reverse proxy versus the, node, the backend. And many many videos i made about this node.js every now and then every three months ha fixes a bug with a broken access control every three months it's a constant thing i will make a video about it just google uh, update node.js now and you'll see my videos <laughs> eventually uh february 2021 uh december 2020 they made another fix there Nginx has something as well like that, right? HA proxy. Uh, they keep uh, obviously uh, fixing these things, but the protocol negotiation between the backend and the frontend, especially how do you deal with HTTP 1.1 is the worst. Like how do you know when a request starts and when a request ends in HTTP 1.1? The whole thing is just a bunch of TCP segments that the reverse proxy accepts or the application accepts, right? You have to aggregate them, wait for all of them to come back, and you can see, the, oh, the first one is get HTTP 1.1, da, 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 and then uh, post, and then there is no T. Then you have to wait. And then you, the other segment comes in, oh, there is a T, and then there is the next of the body, uh, question mark, blah, 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 slash. And then the end of the request, and then content, the headers comes in. Oh, the headers content length, that's actually 100 characters. So you go from starting from content and from the end of the headers, you move 100 characters and that's your body, right? That's how we, it works So HTTP 1. Hacky as F, essentially. HTTP 2, thank God, they fixed that. There is no more. It's We know when where a request starts and where a request ends because... The idea is we have the idea of streams. Each stream uniquely identify a request. I know that this stream will only have one request at a time. It will not have multiple ones. So yeah, broken access control. Very, very dangerous stuff. Security misconfiguration. Security misconfiguration. So we talked about that. Number six. <laughs> oh man. How many Elastic Search and MongoDB and Postgres databases have been scanned on the web, guys, again? Check my check my software news uh, videos that I made. I'm so many countless videos. A lot of people just scan the web randomly for random IP addresses on 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 popular AWS instances, and people don't know how to configure stuff. People are lazy. People just deploy stuff as default, and then just ship it up. Yep, sure. You want to make uh, port 5432 open? Sure. Open the firewall. Let it in. Why would you possibly think it's a good idea to expose the database to the public internet? There is no use case on earth that I can think of that your database should be exposed to the public internet. Put a goddamn reverse proxy, some application on top of it that protects it, protects it from this stuff. There is no use case that I can think of where you, this is possible security misconfiguration uh, or having this uh, postgres configuration that is like hba 
uh, all, all, all MD5. It's like, hey, allow everybody because it's easy. Yeah, I do it in my tutorials, but I tell you that this is bad as well when I say, when I do it. I'm just lazy, okay? <laughs> okay. This is commonly a result of insecure default configuration, incomplete ad hoc configuration, open cloud storage, uh, misconfiguration DB headers, all these stuff. Misconfiguration, very, very bad stuff. All right, so far it's all backend. Here's one front end. Seven, cross-site scripting. And this is one of the things that literally there's only one solution to, right? And and it's it's a back-end solution, unfortunately. It's all back end at the end of the day, right? We have to fix it in the back. So let's talk about XSS. Uh, again, I made uh, videos about XSS. Check out right here. And uh, there is a bonus, the cross-site request forgery, if you want to learn more about that as well. So XSS flaws occur whenever an application include untrusted data in a new page without proper validation or escaping or updates an existing web page with supplied user supplied data using a browser API that that then creates HTML JavaScript. XSS allows attackers to execute scripts in the victim browser, which can hijack user session, deface websites. Uh, who, who remembers here back in 2010, was it? 2011, maybe? Twitter, the Twitter retweet, XSS bug. Someone managed to craft a tweet that is essentially a script a javascript and literally just tweeted it and then the rest of history <laughs> the moment you view that tweet that tweet is basically an xss javascript that sits in your browser and then immediately you get recognized as a script gets executed retweets that tweet Right, because it's a script that essentially just like oh, go to find document dot get element by ID blah 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 dot click, click on the retweet button, and previously there was no prompt. Right, prompt wouldn't save anything because they will go and click the prompt, but it would just retweet. And if you happen to have, if if, if someone with a million follower happened to see this, <sighs> tough luck, man. That's it. The Twitter, the whole entire Twitter was was done by <laughs> everybody had that essentially another problem with the xss is uh, i can't if i manage to inject something if you have an input and i inject a script slash script tag open blah blah blah, blah and i manage to write a fetch command to uh to 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 access your own site the same site right that you're in to execute a request on your behalf and since you are in the same so let's say you're in bank of america obviously that's wrong right but as an example, you're in back in America and you're going and you're, there is an exposed text box and you enter that script that essentially made a post request to Bank of America slash transfer to transfer money from this account to this account. Obviously, this is not as easy as it sounds. There is all sorts of captures and uh, two-factor, three-factor, 700-factor authentication to do transfer, but I'm giving you an example of those guys did the job to protect against this, right? But if you have to protect against this yourself, right? And uh, yeah, I can make a transfer on your behalf to my account with just a script. Say shady stuff, right? And uh, no cookie can protect because you are in the same site. There is no same site property on the cookie can protect you. Nothing. The only thing that can protect you is disable inline scripts. That's it. Never, never, never allowed inline script. Never. Uh, who cares about advertisement? Advertisement, the only thing that runs on, on, on inline. 
I think that changed too. And only allow, using content security policy, stuff that you can essentially execute, right? From trusted URLs. Insecure deserialization. All right. So deserialization, guys, is, is the idea. Serialization is you have object in your C-sharp application or your Java application, your JavaScript, and your Go. And then you take that in-memory representation of the object and then you serialize it into a string or byte string. Usually this is protocol buffer, XML, JSON. What is the other fashionable stuff these days, the formats? I think that's it. And then you take this serialization, JWT, and then you ship it to, to across the wire because it's easily shippable. You cannot ship a memory object across the wire without serialization. And then on the other end, you you deserialize it, right? You take the string and you deserialize it, make it back into an object, essentially. During the deserialization phase, you can... Essentially, if you have a bad deserializer... An attacker can, if they know how your deserializer works, and say, okay, this particular field, I'm going to inject a code in that particular field, in the string. I'm going to inject some code. And the deserializer have an API that blindly execute whatever in that field, right? If you have such a, and Java does have some of that stuff, dangerous stuff, right? If you just have random stuff that, and, and, and the attacker can manage to inject that code and the deserializer blindly execute that field value in the backend, remote code execution, injection ACAD, privileges, escalation, all sorts of nasty stuff. That's why I said the insecure deserialization, I kind of, I want to lump it up with number four. And make this list only 9. I guess they didn't want to make it 9 because it's not as sexy as 10. I don't know, man. What do I know about security, huh? I'm not just, I'm just a lowly backing engineer right here, man. Alright. Number 9. Using components with known vulnerabilities. Hello, OpenSSL. <laughs> How many times were you talking about OpenSSL? Heart bleed. And all these NPM shady packages that you guys install in your React apps. Huh? That's that's dangerous stuff. That's one of the most dangerous stuff. That's dangerous. OpenSSL Heartbleed. I don't want to talk about I made a video about it right here. Check it out. All these IoT devices sitting on OpenSSL version 0.01, whatever that version old, with with Heartbleed there, and people can still hit it. And if your application references OpenSSL, you're infected. You don't care. Who cares if, if your application is secure? If you are referencing OpenSSL or any other component that is weak or have vulnerabilities, you're vulnerable, son. Whether it's leakage of security uh, sensitive information or straight out just DDoSing you by crashing your server if they found a C uh, buffer overflow bug or something that allows them attackers to crash their server. Yikesy. Yikesy this, Scott. Finally, number 10, insufficient logging and monitoring. Insufficient logging and monitoring coupled with missing or ineffective integration or incident reports allow attackers to further attack systems, maintain persistent, pivot more systems, and tamper with them. Guys, uh, how many times, do, how many outages did we discuss since I started making this series, the software news since 2020, early 2020? The uh, Google outage, the Slack outage, the Microsoft outage, the Amazon outage, all of these 
without monitoring and logging, if there was an active attack doing this stuff, if you don't have logging, the attacker can sneak in even more, right? You need to, a way to discover attacks essentially. And without that, that is bad, bad stuff. Solar winds. Look how Microsoft is struggling. They, solar wind, I don't blame Microsoft for this. They have all the log, solar wind hackers. I hate to call them hackers. They are geniuses. Whatever method they're using, nobody in security has thought about this stuff. This is new to everybody. Everybody's freaking out from solar wind. This Orion thing. The, the channels they took, that's why it's taking long time to to do forensics to find out what it, that's why you have to have better forensics and, and Microsoft is, is 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 beefing up their forensics and logging and monitoring as a result. Guys, what do you think about these? And uh, have you implemented any of these? You don't have again, you don't have to implement maybe you don't have SQL, you don't maybe you don't have uh, kind of these all of these things. Maybe you don't have XML, right? You don't have to worry about all of that stuff, but just something to essentially be aware of. All right, guys, that's it for me today. I'm going to see you in the next one. You guys stay awesome. Goodbye.